So we've been going through the Lord's Prayer. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, turn to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to take a look at, we'll read the whole thing. We're going to take a look at verse 12 this morning. I've been walking phrase by phrase through this, and I think, uh, boy, the Lord's been working on me. Maybe he has you as well of how to pray and what prayer is all about. So let's start in verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Notice that in verse 12 that we're paying attention to, the first word in there is and. Interesting, it's a connecting word. Kind of connects us to what he just said about uh, give us this day our daily bread. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, about our physical uh, well-being. The daily bread that God gives us, that we're supposed to be thankful for, not just physical needs, but now he's connecting spiritual needs, that God is the provider and, and the solution for both. So this morning, we kind of talked about the physical aspects of prayer and what we need and how we, God wants us to pray for the essential things and the familiar things and the here and now things, and we kind of covered all that. But what about the spiritual things? What about the needs of the human, not body, but heart? In fact, I would ask this question, what is the greatest need of the human heart? Now, we know we have physical needs to survive, for sure. But what is the need of the human heart? Some would say it's to be acknowledged. We need to be affirmed. We need our self-esteem to be recognized. And that's where a lot of the world and a lot of the world's psychology and and self-help programs are at. Just need to be acknowledged more affirmed for who I am. Some would say that the greatest need of the human heart is to be loved. After all, God is love. And so what we need is this caring, somebody caring for us in a deep and abiding relationship. And we just need to love each other more. That's what the human heart needs. Also very prominent in the world today. And those are important. Do not get me wrong. Ultimately, I think we'll see here in the message this morning that those are fulfilled only in Jesus Christ. But the first and foremost, the greatest need of the human heart is, check this now, the forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin is the greatest need of the human heart. Sin does this. Sin is is just awful in what it does to people. It damns people forever, while at the same time robbing them of the fullness of life, burdening people with the unrelenting conscience of guilt. And ultimately... Sin separates man from God. It is unquestionably the principal enemy and greatest problem of man. Here's what Jesus is doing here in verse 12. He's pointing us to our prayer life where we continuously recognize that God is the source and solution for all our needs, physical, worldly, and spiritual as well. So today we're going to look at this verse in three parts. We're going to unpack the meaning of the words in verse 12, kind of get a real understanding of what the words mean, let them kind of soak into us. We're going to understand them in the context of forgiveness, and finally, we're going to discuss our responsibilities uh, as we kind of saw in the video. What is our responsibility in forgiveness of sin, forgiveness of others? 
So let's unpack the meaning of the words this morning. Forgive us our debts. It's a pretty easy phrase to remember. Forgive us our debts. Debts can be sometimes translated trespasses in, in some of your Bibles. But in the context of what we're talking about, it's something that is owed to another, right? A debt, a trespass. You owe something to someone else. In this case, it's a spiritual debt. The phrase is actually a Hebrew idiom that the readers of Matthew, the Jewish readers of Matthew, would have picked up on. They would have understood the connection between debts and trespasses and sin. In fact, if you look in Luke, the same passage where Jesus is talking, uh, it's, the word is translated actually sin there. So what we're talking about is forgive us our sins, Lord. What is sin? Just to be clear this morning. Because there are many ways that we use to describe this term called sin. Sometimes we say it's missing the mark. That's your classic Bible study term, right? We're missing the mark. Falling short of God's glory, maybe is another way of putting it. Disobedience to God's commands, some might say. And all those are true, all those are right. But I want to put in context for this morning a definition of sin that says this. Sin is a spiritual or moral debt to God that must be paid. Can everybody just start there with me this morning? Sin is a spiritual or moral debt to God that every single person here in this room has to pay. Every person that's ever been born has to pay. Sin is our greatest problem. Therefore, forgiveness is our greatest need, our debts. Second word is forgive us. Us. So many times we're willing to lay the blame at someone else's feet. It's very prominent in this entitlement society we live in where it's someone else's fault that I don't get what I want or that something happened to me that I didn't. It's someone else's fault. And what Jesus is saying here is that when we all pray, forgive us, right, community prayer, what we're really talking about is me. Forgive my debt. Forgive my sin. It's my fault that I'm here. We need to kind of grasp that this morning. It's not someone else's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my spouse's fault. It's not the government's fault. It's not the boss's fault. It's my fault. It's my sin. It's not a mistake. It's a trespass against a holy and righteous God through my heart and the way I've lived my life. And we each have our own debt. We each have our own sin. We each have our own guilt that must be answered for. Our trespasses, our wrong actions, our thoughts, and our deeds... And just to get the context of how gravity, how much gravity there is in this, hold your finger here, okay, put your finger here, and turn a few pages over to Matthew 18. Because there's an illustration that Jesus gives later on. It's going to kind of help us understand this topic of forgiveness this morning. So in chapter 18, in verse 21, we see that Peter comes in and says to Jesus, Lord, how often shall I... Uh, shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him. Right? That's the topic. Forgiveness. How many times can this guy do something to me where I must forgive him? Seven times? Isn't that how we always we want to give the answer to God first? God, bless my answer, please. Bless my foot. And Jesus says, well, no, it's actually 70 times seven. In other words, what he's saying is that there's no end to it. Right? So that's the context of what this conversation is about. How often should I forgive the brother or sister who has a debt or a trespass against me. 
And then he tells this story. He says in verse 23, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. So this is how things are done in the kingdom. And if you are here this morning and you say you are a follower of Christ, you live in the kingdom that's supposed to look like this. He tells the story of a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when the first slave came in, the one who owed him 10, verse 24, the one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, again, just put this in perspective. Um, you know, a lot of us have credit cards, and sometimes we have credit card debt. And maybe it's just a few thousand. I hope it's not a whole lot more than that. Hopefully you don't have any credit card debt. But we have that monthly payment, and it seems like if we just make the minimum payment, it would take us how long to pay it off? Like 2025, it tells us, or something, right? So we learn not to have those kinds of debts. Just the gravity of, of how much it takes to pay back just a small credit card debt that we've had in the past should help us understand that when he's saying 10,000 talents in today's world is millions of dollars. Millions of dollars a slave owes. In verse 25, since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. You know what he's saying? Is that your debt costs you your life and everything that you've ever thought of. That's how much debt you owe, the king said. Now, we need to understand that's kind of like our debt to God. That's how much we owe him. Our sin here, this petition that we're told to forgive us our sins, is not so much a petition as it is a confession. And we know that the debt that is owed here is sin. Don't don't get the wrong view, by the way, that, that this debt can be paid back. I think that's what Jesus is trying to show. There's no way you could pay this back. There's no way you could make a minimum monthly payment and pay this back. There's no way you're going to accumulate enough wealth or enough means to pay back what you owe. There's no way. Cannot be worked off. Sometimes we think maybe God is an adding machine. Right? He's a a big accountant. And he's got a ledger there. If I just clear my ledger, I'll be good. God is not an adding machine. The debt we owe God is too big and we are too bad. And here's the thing. If our debt is left unpaid, our debt of sin, our debt of transgression, our debt of disobedience against God and his ways, if we leave that debt unpaid at the time of our death, the result is an eternity in hell. We owe such a massive debt to God we can't even begin to pay. Not even all of eternity in torment is enough to pay back the debt. Are we getting the gravity of it this morning? It's a big problem. Requires a big solution. Fortunately, there's this gospel of Jesus Christ that is the solution to this problem. And the gospel, you see, is the basis of God's forgiveness, which is the third word, forgive us our Debts. We've looked at debts. We've looked at us. It's me. It's mine. Forgive. This word forgive and forgiveness is the basis of the gospel. Man, it's such good news. The gospel declares that Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross, paid our debt to God. And if we trust that he did that for us, by faith, God says, you are right with me. And the debt has been paid. You and I are fine You can stand in his grace before his throne without being instantly destroyed with hope. You are covered, if you will, 
by this act of mercy and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And I just want to say this morning, if you have not accepted the truth of the gospel, then you still stand before a righteous God with debt on your shoulders that you cannot pay. Please consider this morning as we continue to talk about this, to repent of your unbelief and turn away from the life of sin and walk in the light of the gospel. Because Jesus died to save sinners from the penalty of their debt. Yet Jesus is talking to believers how to pray. So we know that this prayer is really about believers. But I don't want to miss the chance to say if you have never turned your life over to Christ and really trusted him to pay off your debt with God, knowing you're a sinner, knowing you're guilty, believing that Jesus did what's enough to take care of that, then do that this morning. But the debt here in this passage refers to those incurred by Christians when they sin. So much more important, the need for daily bread is the need for continued confession before God. You know, what what is the first prayer that God ever hears? The first prayer that God ever answers, I'll put it that way. The first prayer that God really ever answers is the prayer of, of a repentant sinner, one who repents and believes. And at that moment, there is this thing called conversion. Faith and trust and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ converts sinners into saints. And we are forever changed by that. We need to understand that this morning. We are forever changed and converted when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a regenerated spirit. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but your spirit is regenerated. You're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. You are a new creation. You have a new family. You have a new father. You have a new future. You have a new identity. Everything is new upon conversion. And God's forgiveness of sin is the basis for the needs of of the human heart that we talked about before. Remember we said the need to be acknowledged is some that would say is the greatest need of the human heart. But you know, when God is your father, you know that he's pleased with you because of your faith. He's pleased with you because you follow Jesus. In fact, he sees Jesus when he looks at you. He affirms you. You don't have to prove yourself to God. You are worthy because of Jesus and your faith in him. You don't have to create a sense of value to God. You're valued because you follow Jesus. The need to be loved. Look, just like God loves Jesus, he now pours his love out on you and he never takes that away. He never... uh, never, dispenses something other than love towards you. Maybe discipline, but never takes away the love. God's love for you never changes. But we still have the flesh, right, to overpower us sometimes and our new nature, and we fall to temptation. We're going to talk about temptation next week and what God does to deliver us from that. But let me just answer this question this morning because I think it's relevant. What happens when a Christian falls and sins after conversion? It's important that we set this up as we walk through the rest of the passage. So we need to understand, I know these are technical terms, a little theology this morning. There's something called judicial forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness. It's a legal term. And understand that when we are converted, we are positionally standing before God in the righteousness of Christ. We are judicially forgiven. The debt has been nailed to the cross. We no longer owe that debt any longer. Don't think that when I sin tomorrow, I re-incur a debt, is what I'm trying to say. Don't believe that. All debts for all time are forgiven at the moment of your conversion. Do you believe that this morning? 
No more debt. No more wrath of God abiding upon us. We now forever live in the light of Jesus Christ. So we ought to be saying things like, I'm not sinless, but I ought to be sinning less. That's the, that's the testimony that we should have. So then what is this thing for forgiveness? What are we asking forgiveness for then? Introduce a new term for you today, parental forgiveness. Maybe it's a good way of looking at it. God is still our Father, and therein lies the key to understanding the, the idea of forgiveness after conversion. We need sometimes parental forgiveness from God. How about your kids when they misbehave? They commit sin, if you will. They, they transgress your commandments. They owe you a debt, do they not? Does your relationship with your kids change? Does your relationship with your kids change? Thank you. I hope not. They're still your kids. They must have been really bad this week, huh? Yeah, they're still your kids. You're still their mom. You're still their dad. Nothing changed. You'll always, you still love them. You'll always love them. You know that, here's the thing, you know that you're going to forgive them. In fact, you are so ready to forgive them instantly. You know, sometimes moms, maybe more than dads, because dad's got to, you know, be the disciplined person in the, in the family. But the whole idea is you're waiting to forgive them. But the intimacy that you had with your children has been broken, albeit temporarily. And until they come to ask for your forgiveness, the intimacy really will not be restored. That's the idea behind this, parental forgiveness. It's the same way with God. If we, are, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9 says, God is what? Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not that we fell out of fellowship with him. Not that we have somehow incurred a debt that the wrath of God now comes back upon us. It is finished, Jesus said at the cross. Our debts are paid, and yet we still have this parental forgiveness, this intimacy with God that has been broken. And we want to live in the intimacy of God. You know, Jesus, just before he was crucified, the night before, remember the story at the Last Supper. When he gets up, he takes the water basin and he gets on his knees. And what does he start doing to his disciples? He washes their feet, right? Those dirty, nasty first century feet. What is he doing? He's trying to remind them that they need occasional cleansing. He was modeling for them and giving us a picture of the forgiveness that God has repeated cleansing. The relationship doesn't change, but we need to be cleansed every now and then when we've committed sin. And it's mercies are new every morning. We sang that song. The grace of God is new every day. That's the repeated cleansing, the parental forgiveness that we all need. So forgive us our debts. The meaning behind the words. Let's do a little application of the words. Three things I want to look at this morning. How can we take this term, forgive us our debts, and do something with us? Well, understand this. First of all, that forgiveness is costly. It costs the forgiver something to forgive. And you will not get back the justice or the debt that you think you're owed. Will not get the satisfaction of payback, in other words. Consider what it costs God to forgive us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the text says this, that we should know that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from our futile way of life inherited from our forefathers, but with precious blood. 
as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You know, in God's economy, forgiveness removes the debt completely. It's gone forever. It's not like double jeopardy, right? It's not like he can come around and get you again for the same thing. Consider the debt that we owe God. He forgives, and in his love and his mercy, he never brings it up again. And because of our forgiveness, we should have liberty, not license. We don't have to pay God back. God is not trying to get a payback. Just like in the story of of Jonah. Remember that a few weeks ago we talked about Jonah. God is trying to win back. God is trying to, to bring back. He's going to bring back. He's not going to pay back his children for their sin. So forgiveness is costly. It's going to cost us something to forgive someone else because it costs God something to forgive us. Second, forgiveness is, and I, could, I struggle with the right word, outlandish, maybe there's a better word for it, but you know, the forgiveness that God gives to us is just crazy. It's like grace. It's, it's scandalous sometimes we think about the grace that we're given. The kind of forgiveness that God gives us is, is out of the ordinary. It's, it's strange. It's unusual. It's outlandish. It's off the wall. Think of any other adjective that you want. It's not normal. It's not how the world forgives. The grace of God's forgiveness should make our heads spin around when we think about what we owe him and what he did to, to remove it all. You know, in, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, just before this, Jesus was reading or saying in, in chapter 5, he said this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? It was the Old Testament law in Leviticus about uh, how, how justice was to be administered, right? And, and, and the whole point of that was to limit retribution, right? It wasn't so that you go out and look for eyes and, and, and tooth, teeth. It was so you limit retribution. But Jesus says to you, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. We've heard that before, right? Turn the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat. We don't really practice that a whole lot today, do we? Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Can you imagine someone hijacks your car and says, I'm going to drive a mile down? Oh, no, let me stay with you another mile. Let's let's go another mile with here. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about Jesus a little bit. Give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You see, the whole idea of God's forgiveness is just foreign to the world. It it should be something that makes the world stand up and take notice. It should make us stand up and take notice. You know, there were were four young boys, and you know how young boys are bursting with energy at church. Hard to get them to sit still, right? Right. one Sunday, the minister was preaching a sermon on this, turn the other cheek. And, and at that moment, he got their undivided attention. All the boys were listening. And the minister stressed that no matter what others do to us, we should never try to get even. And that afternoon, the youngest boy came into the house crying. And between sobs, he told his mother that he had kicked one of his brothers who had kicked him in return. I'm sorry you're hurt, Mom said, but, but you shouldn't go around kicking people. To which the tearful child replied, but the preacher said he wasn't supposed to kick me back. (laughs) You see, Jesus really is our model for forgiveness. 
First Peter again, chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Christ is our example and model when it comes to forgiveness. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges Righteously, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you are healed. Get this picture this morning. On behalf of those who are pounding the nails into his hands, on behalf of those who were spitting on him, on behalf of those who are mocking him and blaspheming him with all kinds of file words and, and accusations, for those who applied the excruciating crown of thorns on his head, on behalf of those, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. No offense that we incur from others will ever outweigh the offense that God has forgiven us in Christ. Do you understand that this morning? Put your finger back to Matthew chapter 18. Go back there real quick. Back to the parable of the unjust slave. Remember, he had been commanded to give up everything because he could not repay. Verse 26, so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you everything, which was a lie, because he could not. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Forgiveness was awesome. Nobody forgives that kind of debt. Nobody forgives millions of dollars of debt, yet that's what this king did, the king like our Lord Jesus But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves and owed him a hundred denarii, just a couple of months' wages. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. His fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you, which he might have been able to repay. That wasn't necessarily such a lie. But the first slave was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, notice that the community sees what's going on. Don't miss that. The community understands what was done for the first slave, and now they don't understand why he won't forgive. And they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And in summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handing him over to the torturers that he should repay all that was owed him. It's not a good picture. And then Jesus says this. This brings us to our last point this morning. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you Christian, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. We learn that forgiveness is costly. We learn that forgiveness is outlandish. And here's the thing, it's required. It's commanded. We don't have an option. 
Forgive us our debts as we finish verse 12. As we also forgive our debtors. You see, required, it's required for Christians to forgive one another. It is not an option. Unlike what you saw in the video this morning, it is not an option. We have the responsibility to forgive because God has forgiven us. To be more like Christ. To forgive those who hold a debt with us. Here's the deal. Forgiveness is the ultimate test of that conversion that we talked about earlier. Forgiveness is the ultimate test that we are born again. It is the mark of a truly regenerate heart. Now this phrase in verse 12 is also the only one in the whole Lord's Prayer that includes a commentary from the Lord himself. Because I think he knows we need to have a little bit more information to really drive this point home. And so he says in verse 14, kind of parallels the uh, parable of the unjust slave. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, and here's where most of us struggle, because we're okay with the first part. If you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Most difficult text. Tough passage. And I'm going to ask your forgiveness right now in case I say something not exactly, uh, uh, doesn't come out quite right. I don't say things correctly maybe. Maybe I offend you or I harm your relationship with with God. I'm going to ask your forgiveness right now this morning because this is a most difficult passage. Here's what the passage does not say. It does not say that God's forgiveness is triggered by ours. Do not get that out of the passage. That God will do something if we will do something, right? It does not say that. It's not the way it works. God loved us before we loved him. God was pursuing us before we were thinking about him. God is always the first God. He's always the first mover. He's always the first motivation when it comes to our salvation and our spiritual things. And our forgiveness comes out of the fruit of our salvation. Because we have been, we will be forgiven. So how should we read this most important passage? Well, at a a minimum, I would say that we don't understand forgiveness if we can't forgive. What you have forgiveness from and what you have supposed to forgive, we don't really understand that if we can't forgive. Maybe we take our salvation for granted. Maybe we don't understand the cost. You know, in in Luke, I think it is, chapter 7, we see that Jesus is at the, at the dinner, he's at the house of, of a sinner, at a Pharisee's, uh, excuse me, a tax collector. He's eating with sinners. It's a good picture, isn't it? Jesus eating with sinners. And we see that the Simon, the Pharisee who invited him, saw this, uh, this, this woman came in, and, and remember what she did? She took a vial of perfume, broke it, and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And the Pharisee saw that and he said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. You see, the Jews of those days, they didn't have a problem with you preaching about sin and and telling people they're wrong. They didn't have really a problem with that. It's it's when you hung out with them that they really had a problem. And Jesus, because he knew what the man was thinking, he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he begins another parable and he talks about 
two people that had been owed, uh, owed their, their master something. They were in debt, and they were, they were both forgiven, one just a, a little bit and one for a lot. And he said, which one do you think will be more grateful? And, and the Pharisee answered. He said, the one that's forgiven a lot. And Jesus said, you, you've, you've exactly got it right. Because who has been forgiven more loves more is the intent of the parable there. If you understand how much you've forgiven, what Jesus says is you will love God more. You will love people more. And so I think a lot of times when we don't love people correctly, it's because we don't understand how much we've been forgiven. And so this passage, I think, at the very minimum, it tells us that we need to check our hearts to see if we understand truly how much we've been forgiven. And if we do, we will forgive. But the opposite end of the spectrum, the worst maybe, is that if our life habitually contains unforgiveness, and maybe it's one person, maybe it's a couple people, maybe you just basically are an unforgiving person. If it exists in your life, In other words, you just can't forgive people in general or in particular. Check this out now. Maybe there's the need to self-examine your relationship with Christ. Maybe you need to go back and look exactly at what you claim your salvation consists of. I know that's a harsh thing to say that people might not be saved. But look, if you cannot forgive, what this passage indicates is that you may not have been forgiven. There's the need maybe to examine, self-examine the salvation that you stand in. Martin uh, Lloyd-Jones said this, God's forgiveness breaks a person. God's forgiveness breaks a person. Are you broken this morning? Why should we be able to forgive? Consider the depths of what God has done for us. Romans chapter 5 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still in the world doing all those foul things with that evil, God-hating heart, God did something for us. He died for us. And yet we can't let go of that offense from someone else. 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. When we were wretched, when we were unlovable, God loved us, and yet we can't love our fellow brothers and sisters who have been redeemed and purchased with the same blood as what saved us. So we've looked at this morning, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who owe us, who are our debtors. We know that we have an ongoing problem. It's called sin. And I know that sin is not a uh, a topic that most, if I had a top 10 list of things you want me to preach on, where would sin be? It might not even be on there. But we've got to realize that it is the greatest need that we have is to be forgiven of the sin that we have against God. Once and for all in conversion and then parentally as we continue, continuously see that we are sinning against God, bring that to him and confess that he is faithful and just to forgive us parentally, to restore the intimacy that was there before. Not that we lose our salvation. Please do not hear that. Do not believe that happens. Once saved, always saved is true, I believe. Because we're converted and transferred. And so we have need for occasional forgiveness when we sin. And in the same way, we forgive others. Because if we don't forgive others, then I think what Jesus says is, you need to check your heart. God's provision for sin is continual forgiveness, and we receive it by confessing our sin. The prerequisite is that we forgive others. And we're going to have the Lord's Supper here 
this morning. We're going to celebrate communion together. And before we do that, I think we need to spend a little bit of time seeing if there's, number one, unconfessed sin. You know, the Apostle Paul told us to examine ourselves before we partake of the communion together. So we're going to do that. And then also, I want you to make a commitment. If you have unforgiveness against someone, or if you know that someone is waiting for you to forgive them, I want to ask you this morning to examine your hearts, make a commitment to God that you'll do that, so that you'll live out this passage. So let's bow our heads this morning as we get ready to partake of communion. Let's bow our heads. Let's examine our hearts. Bring any unconfessed sin before the Lord this morning. I'm going to give you just a few moments to do that. And then we'll pray and we'll have the Lord's Supper. we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Lord, as we examine our hearts, we look for those things that have been unconfessed, that we've been hiding Maybe we have pet sins that we just haven't dealt with. And this morning, Lord, we want to deal with them. Before we make our our approach to the communion table, before we celebrate the Lord's death and burial and resurrection and the new life that we have in him, we want to get that straight. We want to get that right. So I'm praying, Father, that, that there may be some here this morning who maybe have never reached out to you for forgiveness. They've just been coming to church, maybe even faithfully, but they've never acknowledged the sin and the guilt in their life, and they've never come to you and said, forgive me for that in Christ. And the conversion has never really happened. I pray, Father, that you bring conviction upon those who need to ask you for forgiveness for the first time. I pray also for those who maybe need forgiveness the next time just haven't been able to give that last sin up, who just maybe haven't been able to forgive that person for what they did to them, that maybe they have unforgiveness that goes all the way back to their childhood, all the way back to parents or family members who hurt them. And we're not denying the hurt, Lord. We know that it is real, but we know forgiveness clogs up the arteries that we have that bring us into your presence. And Give us a healthy life and intimacy with you. So I'm praying, Father, that unforgiveness can be broken today. That unforgiveness can be put away through confession and through understanding that you have forgiven us for far more than anyone will ever do to us. Forgiveness is costly, Lord, and we know that we will not get back the justice that is owed to us. We will not see and feel the vengeance that we sometimes want, that we're not going to get the, the, the righteousness that we deserve. But neither did you when you sent Jesus to forgive us. Thank you that you did not ask for the payment that we owed. Thank you that you did not take it from us that we deserve to give. 
pain and torment for eternity. Thank you, Father, that you made another way through Jesus to take that from us. And you put all of our hurts and all of our sins and all of our payment and wrath and penalty on him. And so that is why we celebrate this morning the Lord's Supper. That is why we remember the body that was broken for us. That is why we drink of the cup that represents his blood that was spilled for us. That is why we are thankful and grateful because we know that the symbol that we're about to take represents his taking our sin and your forgiveness for that debt. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being forgiving and loving and gracious and merciful. I pray hearts have been restored this morning, Lord. I'd love to hear testimonies of those whose hearts have been restored this morning. Forgiveness, there's a commitment to it. And unforgiveness has been broken and the bondage and and even the, the torment of that has been broken forever. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who makes this all possible to understand. We thank you in Jesus' name.